Friday Happy endings are the rule So divide up those in darkness From the ones who walk in light Light them up, boys, there's your picture Drop the shadows out of sight This is Jennifer Stone with a reading from my memoir, Telegraph Avenue, then first published, oh, long ago in 1977. November 1975, time to write my annual autumn autopsy. Every year, I go underground before the winter solstice. I try to get it together. Wrap it up, recycle it. Like the groundhog, I hide in a hole. Then I crawl out and look around, only in my case, I'm always waiting for winter. So when I peek out to check the weather, that is, the people and the scene, well, if I see my shadow, I just get drunk, and that's how I know it's still fall, and the year isn't dead yet. I'm coming out. Very slowly this year, there's still a little shadow that goes in and out with me. Don't think I'll finish in time for the dark, of course. It isn't hard once you get started. The first thing is to get it all laid out before you. Then there must be a clean knife and a clear vision. Before consulting the entrails, it's necessary to do a lot of deep breathing because of the smells. This year, I must say the auspices weren't very auspicious. I threw away the heart and that tiresome burden I see in the mirror. I set aside several strands of my nervous system. With these, I can begin first. I write down everything I know, which doesn't take long. Then I type everything on those little index cards I underline all the political stuff in red. I use a blue highlighter for all the personal parts. I distinguish the fact from the fiction by using the scissors to cut the corners. At some point, I take a psychotic break, which usually lasts three days, although I have no way of knowing for sure. Then, I carefully reread everything. Select the really heavy stuff, profoundly engraved on a stone tablet. Bake it, break it, and smash it all to fragments. I then mail the dust 
to the Atlantic Monthly. The Sands of Mind will be this year's title. December 1975. The Piltdown Woman Meets the Worm. Late last night, I finished my paper on William Blake. Oh, Rose, thou art sick. Mutability, death, and the rest of it. I finished my brandy and went to bed. In the early morning dark, in the faintest light, I see something moving on my hand. I'm not really awake. The thing looks blackish. It crawls toward the third finger of my left hand, bites my skin delicately, but with a piercing strength, I lurch upright, smash my hand against the bed, grabbing for the light. I search the quilt to find the terrible thing which made me think I might be dead after all, and the worms in at me, I find a gray-green worm oozing near my pillow, curled, cringing, hungry. There is a yellow spot where I smashed it. There are roses in a ceramic pot beside my pillow, crimson and white, tucked into mint leaves, overblown the petals falling in a little puddle, on the night table. Looking deep into the blossom, I find another worm. I pick the pair of them up with toilet paper and flush them away, throwing the roses in after them. I rinse the glazed pot, throw the mint out the window into the trees. I throw the bedding in the bathtub until I can wash it and hang it in the sun. I handle it as if it were contaminated with lice or bedbugs. I had bedbugs once in New York. Many years ago, it was a joke then, I waited with soft soap to catch them when they crept out after dark. I had to have proof to force the landlord to call the exterminators. Now I shudder at the thought of things crawling on me while I sleep. Looking at my hand, I feel the intense bite again. I am meat. I am edible. Curled up in a clean blue sheet, I shiver and try to go back to sleep. I get a sleeping bag out of the closet and bury myself in it, trying to feel bundled and safe. It's four in the morning. Oh, Rosie, thou art sick, old girl. When I was young and twenty, I was not afraid of anything, living or dead. Tonight, I'm terrified. I dream of empty seas and dry sand cracked mud, ashes of roses, sandstone faces, 
of desert lovers. I hear the gentleman with the scythe calling on the night wind. I'm coming, Rosie, stay for me. Well, hell, I'll be smart. I'll be cremated, no conqueror worm, only transfiguration, an urn of ashes on a shelf. Myself, Madame Pavlova, and an endless number of Romans and Jews and Vikings, all burned alive or dead. All very dignified dust. To keep from dreaming, I get out my tape recorder. The worm bringeth forth the word. I begin with a dedication to Eddie Poe. Edgar Allan Poe wrote, All I loved, I loved alone. Poe, too, wrote about his nightmares, drank himself to death, afraid of being buried alive. Who isn't? Suddenly I wake up in a clammy sweat. The tape recorder has run on alone, recording my alpha waves. I reverse it to where I fell asleep, and I try to record my last nightmare. In my dream, there seemed to be a sort of mausoleum. It is cold there. I am trying to sleep on a slab. I begin to think it would have been better to have been buried in the sun. I pull the blankets closer around my shoulders. The blanket is a linen shroud. There is a boy there, lying dead under a sheet, only he is not dead any more than I am. The air is dank. Stones are gray. Sam and Simon seem to be with me. They ask for information, for data. Simon says, it looks like Juliet's tomb. Sam says it's a dump. He wouldn't live here with his dog. He goes out to play frisbee. I try to remember. Juliet, I form the words. If... All else fail, myself have power to die. But I cannot speak aloud, and Simon is laughing at me. He larks around like a Noel Coward song, singing, A tomb with a view, and you. I tell him to hush up and behave himself. I make mother noises. Simon dances off, making an obscene gesture, saying, This is for you, another obscene gesture, and this is for your horse. I can see the hand of the boy, whose body is framed underneath the sheet. That hand is greenish-gray and puffy, plump. The fingers crawl onto the sheet and put it off. Then he jumps up and wraps the sheet around him as if he were in a Turkish bath. 
Oh, he's too fat to be Sam or Simon. He goes to a man, uh, a man who is his doctor, and he says that what I deserve is to be reincarnated as a giraffe and go through a lifetime without a voice box. <laughs> he grins at me and says, squeak, squeak. Suddenly I can speak. I insist, this boy is dead, the boy yells. No, I'm adopted, I'm adopted. I argue about all this with the doctor, whom I know to be an absolute phony. One of his eyes is black. Charcoal is running down the side of his face instead of tears. He finally states that as far as he can tell, the boy is alive. I had known this all along, but... The boy's lack of self-awareness bothered me. He's acting like a primal or animal spirit. He is Pan. Jesus is not yet born. If I can get rid of the doctor, I can find out the truth. Although this boy is not my son, I can plot with him. I promise him a six-pack if he will get rid of the doctor, he begins to talk, telling the doctor all about Sir Thomas Crapper, who invented the flush toilet in England, and how the doughboys went over in World War I and came home saying, got to go to the crapper. And he goes on about the English and their water closet jokes. And the doctor looks at me, knowing it is my fault. This boy talks all the time. And then... I am the boy's mother, but she is not me. I am the mother of Sam and Simon. The woman who is the mother of this boy dances on a stone slab. She is wild as wind. Things turn around. Confusion. Displacement. And a ledge the end of the tomb, which is a subterranean cave. We are near the edge of a precipice, which is precarious, slippery, moss, lichen. The usual mist can be seen as the earth quakes, and the tremor causes me to reach for the hand of the boy, who is mine now, and I show him the end of the world. Vast, floating cities pass before us. Whole civilizations, ancient villages, rivers, and seas in which the stones at the bottom of the water appear to be junkyards of industrial waste or crushed cars, all covered by clear and luminous mountain streams now and then seabirds swimming to the surface, flying to meet us. At last, we can see the time to come, a sort of movie Atlantis in the future where everything is self-contained and there are no connecting wires. Illumination comes from fireflies in the air, from phosphorescent sea creatures. This 
phosphorescence, I tell the boy, is marfire. The light which comes from the depths of the sea. I record my dream on tape. It is almost dawn. I describe the outline fragments, slivers, and a space opening into eternity. Words. I get the dictionary and look up nightmare. I will ride thee, O knights, like the mare. Mm, that's pretty sexist. Anyway, Mara is an incubus somehow akin to Sanskrit, meaning he crushes. Also, a kind of spirit or goblin or fiend that sits on your chest when you're asleep. Melancholy, the blue devils, the blues... Or a hag, a witch, specter, reading further. I find the plural is Maria, the sea, or a pool, or the dark of the moon. Once thought to be the seas of the moon or the seas of Mars. Now thought to be vegetation, but of course they're really seas. I can't stop reading dictionaries, the labyrinth of language. I have a dictionary in my bed that outweighs my last lover. Words without frames, without a context, so fragmented how free they are. Margaret is a pearl. The short form is Greta. There is my answer. I will go to visit my friend Greta, who lives at Aptos by the sea. I will tell her I forgot to be buried in the sun. I will tell her the worm is real and rosy, thou art sick. And I eat death every day, doesn't everyone, she will say. Duck soup, she will say. And oh, yes, the dark night of the soul. So let's go downtown and look in the shops and go to that new bar with the old lanterns, that belladonna bar by the sea, belladonna deadly nightshade, a night Walking prostitute, death and sex. <laughs> Tape recorder on again, title of the next fragment, The Piltdown Woman. See references to the Piltdown Man, found in East Sussex, England. A supposedly very early, primitive, modern man, based on skull fragments uncovered in a gravel pit at Piltdown, and then used in combination with comparatively recent skeletal remains of various animals in the development of an elaborate fraud. Widely accepted at first, this skull, assembled by a man, was discovered to be a fake. Elsewhere described, as an extinct prehistoric being, also known as Dawn Man, a genus of early Pleistocene primate, essentially human but 
later held invalid as a genus because of doubt as to the exact relation of all fragments. That's me, all right. Free association has blown my mind. All those sea slime dreams have destroyed me. Just another fraud. As the Piltdown woman, I can really get my teeth into the truth. Perverse and put down, my existence is denied. A pastiche of worn-out words. He said to me once, I am accused of cleverness as if it were a sin. She's merely clever, some say. I sacrifice wisdom for wit. Let profundity go for a pun. Could be. Sometimes I'm rolling forward with the tidal wave of words, and just as I'm about to break, I reverse the image, like a movie going backwards. It all becomes absurd as the wave rolls right back where it came from, or it freezes in the air, and so I end there on a facetious note. Cut my own throat. Pull the rug out from under the... There. I've destroyed the integrity of the image cluster. Do I care what people say? Am I phony? Isn't all art a lie? Like the Piltdown person, art is a real fake. Like me. Once I told my kindest teacher I wanted to be a Renaissance woman. I was 18, she laughed, until she choked. She called me a phony, phony. I doze off again. I dream I am sleeping in a borrowed bed. In my hand, I'm clutching some coins, some change. Change is left over from the last drink I bought for myself in the Belladonna Bar near the River Styx before coming here to this place, which is now. I am sleeping with the one I am most used to, but he is not the one I thought he was. The balcony has no railing. One side of the house is not connected to the other side. There are two staircases, separate entrances. I am too tired to wake up. My eyes burn. If I close them, more night terrors will come. I see actors on stage moving like dolls. They move, but they are not breathing. I ask them, what makes the wave stop and the film run backwards? Do I do that or does it go by itself? Did I learn it? Is it a conditioned response? <laughs> One of the actors comes forward smiling. The actor is an old lover who tormented me in bed. What a shock to see his lying grin. 
He always went into reverse and swam backwards whenever the wave crested in me. It's getting light outside. I remember setting out at midnight, leaving home, crossing the desert, traveling to the seashore, arriving in the early morning of my childhood. I was three the first time I left home in the dark, driving from Tucson to La Jolla. Deserts are cool at night. I hear the surf which is the voice of my mother as we drive past that row of palm trees which lead down the hill. I smell the seaweed, mist, the iodine, kelp. Perhaps I'm still sleeping. I could sleep until I die. Uh, time to get on with it, the river of life, the course of events. I search for my hands and face so I can eat breakfast. People are bleeding to death on the radio, the blood running out of the speaker down on my bed sheets. The folk songs of Chilean martyrs get me as far as the shower. The bathtub fills up with blood. I try to look at the barracks where I live and say the words they taught me, the words I keep trying to swallow but which stick in my throat and I cannot vomit up my guilt. I cannot swallow my terror. There is my superego looking at me from my mirror saying again, how can you worry about yourself? when thousands are screaming their last, you are guilty of guilt. How can I love you, rosy old girl? Love must be earned with tears and blind suffering, and you have not suffered enough. You've been listening to the voice of Jennifer Stone, reading from her memoir, Telegraph Avenue then. You can listen to all the chapters in our archives online at kpfa.org. Happy ending, nice and tidy. It's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday. KPFA for our next monthly movie matinee as we screen Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, 
a movie regarded by many critics as one of the greatest films of the 21st century, starring Jim Carrey and Kate Winslet, written by Charlie Kaufman and directed by Michel Gondry. This film asks the question, is science strong enough to erase the power of human connection? Too many guys think I'm a concept or I complete them or I'm going to make them alive. It won the Academy Award for Best Original Screenplay. So join us on Saturday, January 26th at 3 p.m. at the New Parkway Theater as we travel into the eternal sunshine of the spotless mind and discover the power of the human heart to rise above man-made scientific predictions. For ticket information, visit kpfa.org or thenewparkway.com. This is a KPFA benefit. Listening to 94.1 KPFA and 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley. 